Hi, I'm Blake Repine and welcome to Strategy, Leadership and Impact. So welcome to this week's podcast and I'm here with Lynn Goodyear who is the CEO of the Australian Human Resources Institute. We're currently at the state conference for the NT and you might be able to hear some of the background noise, but we are poolside at the Hilton. So, of course, it's probably a tough job for you to come up to Darwin and enjoy this nice weather we're having. But thank you, Lynn, for uh, joining us on the podcast. And I'll actually turn it over to you to tell us a little bit about yourself and introduce yourself. Thank you, Blake. It's my pleasure to be here. One of the privileges of being the CEO of the Australian HR Institute is I get to travel around Australia. So it's fantastic to be in warm, sunny Darwin today. And we've had a fantastic conference and a great opportunity to bring the northern territory hr community together oh definitely and it's a really good turnout i I saw so i actually had the pleasure and the honor of speaking today as well and i believe we had just over 100 attendees is that we did in true um nt style i'm told it uh started low but uh we still had people registering this morning and it was it's great that's really good so great turnout good to see a good full room and and support for the uh the profession actually i think so i think and again the opportunity to re-energize and reconnect uh at what can be difficult times with changing government, changing economy, economic circumstances and the like. Moving on from that, just in regards to ARI and its importance in Australia, so how do you see ARI as being important as far as professionalising the human resources industry? We are the professional body, so we perform a number of roles. We help build community, networking and the like. We put on fantastic events like the NT Council has here in Darwin today. But equally, we have a responsibility as the professional body to set standards of practice. And I think the reality is that there is a disparity both within the profession today, those wearing the labels, but equally that has caused confusion within the marketplace and with employers as to what good HR looks like. So our responsibility is to articulate what good HR looks like, enable and develop tools and and resources to help build that capability and recognize it isn't just skills and knowledge it's actually professional behaviors is a clearly distinguishing feature and then go confidently to the market and communicate about what the role is that hr can play i think we have to get our own house in order first as a profession before we can make sure we can do that with confidence and we're at a really interesting tipping point i think in terms of what we've been able to achieve in the last four or five years yeah, definitely seen uh, quite a bit of professionalism happening within the HR industry being led by R, and that was one of the things that drew me to the organization. So do you see the, the certifications and, and that, I guess, level of commitment similar to what we might see in like the accounting industry, for example, with the chartered accountant and CPA and those professional qualifications? And do you see these as really being of the same type standard? And I can share a personal story. My original study was in accounting. Okay. And I, I wore the label accountant. I worked on uh, nuclear sites, in fact, in the U.S. Like, um, for a, a period of time. And, and so I called myself an accountant. Today, uh, 20, 30 years later, I couldn't put that label back on because there is both a professional aspiration within the ranks of those that study accounting, equally an employer expectation. And I think finance is a great skill and I think the knowledge that I gained is very valuable and I greatly value that contribution that that accountants and finance makes to my business every day. However, when I think about what the most valuable and most vulnerable and most dynamic asset within the organisation, it is the people. Yet for some reason, today we have a scenario where anyone can call themselves an HR practitioner. 
So if I was to jump to the end of the journey that we're on, I would say that I hope we look back in not the not too distant future and actually with quiet shock say, you know, there was a time when anyone could call themselves an HR practitioner because it is a skill, it is does have a strong knowledge base, but most importantly, it has a suite of professional behaviours to allow you to partner with organisations and, and leaders in order to deliver sustainable value into the business. That's great. And speaking of skills, you actually mentioned early on in the conference this morning courage. Yeah. And courage, and really that is a skill. Yeah. And can you unpack that a little bit and just tell us about that? Yeah, so when we, we didn't just decide to set a certification standard just for the sake of it, you know, create a course or create a, uh, something that, that members have to do. We absolutely did our research and we worked with international bodies as well. And so we've got quite a, a synergy with a number of large international groups in this area. And we absolutely asked the profession, but most importantly, we asked employers, what was it that they wanted from organisations? And I think I alluded to the fact that they value the knowledge, but they sort of presume, well, that is your trade. You should know your stuff in terms of knowledge. But what they articulated was it is that combination of professional behaviours, that ability at times to be courageous, but there's no point being courageous on an ill-founded yeah. <laughs> premise, so you do need to know your stuff. One of the one of the professional behaviours is to understand and care. And there was a little bit of reaction to what the research was saying because people said, oh, that will make that'll give uh, HR that sort of inappropriate label of being soft and fluffy. Yet, in fact, when we're dealing with human beings and we're wanting to, to harness people together around a common purpose, we need to understand not only the organisational drivers, but we absolutely need to understand those individual drivers so that we can bring them together. And sometimes they misalign, and you do need mm. to care about how you manage that misalignment and either seek to realign it or, in some cases, separate it. So those professional behaviours are a real variable in distinguishing good HR. Mm, that's great. And I think the importance of the certification process, things it really brings a lot of value to organisations as well. Mm. And I've actually seen that, and I think I kind of have an insider's view, of course, being a member of AHARI and knowing what the certification involves and, and the level, how it develops our staff. So um, I currently have a current staff member who is in their final phase, so they're mm. doing their project. Mm. And we've actually developed that project into an organizational level event. I guess so it's supported from the top of the organization. We're developing a wellness program for the organization. But understanding how not only that it helps our staff member achieve reaching that certification, also works to develop them, but also brings value back to the organization as well. And definitely every employee will benefit from this. So that being said, that typically wouldn't happen outside of an executive team that doesn't know that, that we have that capability and that available to us. So are we looking at, or is Ahari as a professional organization, looking at engaging other executives outside of the HR uh, realm, I guess you can say? We have a, uh, a long-term strategy associated with this change. So we're no different to any organization that, that looks to affect change, just that we've been around for 75 years and this is the most substantial piece of change we've ever tried to, to instigate. Our first priority in terms of communication, because when you're looking at change, the first thing is to communicate and absolutely communicate to the stakeholders that you're looking to have the change impact on. So we spent two years talking to our members about the why, and I won't cover what we took, you know, undertook in that two years, but the fundamental message was right now anyone can call themselves an HR practitioner. Is that right? Is that fair to those that have invested in their professional capability developing? 
And and universally the answer was, well, no, it's not right. This is a really valuable yeah. contribution. So we took that time because there was a, a little, you know, whenever you're making change, there's always anti-stories. Uh, there's yeah. always <laughs> gossip in the corridors and, and in this case around the country. So there were some who said, oh, this is a membership drive and that's all it is. And, and my response quite clearly was that if I was looking, if I had been tasked with growing RE membership, I would not be putting the hurdle that is the commitment to undertake certification in front of people in order to get them. And equally, to not be offensive to those who have actually abided by the framework that we set in place. And the framework previously was really a time spent, things studied framework. So effectively, if you can imagine, it it was like looking at a CV. And very few of us would ever hire someone on just a CV. So we knew we had to elevate that to a, a behavioral level, to an impact level. We then spent another sort of 18 months, two years, talking about the impact certification has had on individuals' careers. And and Mm. when you ever undertake change, it's always great to get a baseline. So we had done research with our members. We had done research with employers. So we understood what the baseline was. We understood what the gaps were. And what has been fantastic in that early period was to see the acceleration to people's individuals' practitioners' careers. And that's fantastic because that means we are actually delivering to our members through this strategy but at the end of the day if we don't deliver to organizations and we don't communicate and expose the benefit of an HR partner to organizations then we've done nothing for our members careers but you can't go there until you've got the evidence so where we're in a wonderful position now where organizations are in fact embracing it holistically because they see the value they get the value and they're on board and you described our methodology and I think it's a real credit um, to the Australian education system that we have a really strong vocational framework and we have within that framework not only how you build skills but how you assess behaviours yeah. and uh, vocational um, expertise. So we've leveraged that and we're able to have really strong workplace-based programs. So. Uh, the people who participate in the program, if they take the study pathway, aren't sort of going off to the left here and, and studying and then coming back and, oh, yes, reality check, I'm back at work. Yeah. They are incrementally building and developing really their capstone unit, which is about organisational change. And then they have to evidence it. They have to demonstrate the metrics. They have to de- demonstrate the relationships and triangulate it in terms of um, the refereeing of the impact they've had. So. We're shifting both sides of the ledger at the same time. That's the accountant coming out of me in terms of the practitioner benefit, but also the organisational impact. And, and you end up with a win-win. Definitely. definitely. Yeah. Going one step beyond that. So a lot of the conversation today has been around culture and things like that. And recently in the media, regulatory bodies are looking more at culture and organisations and how do we regulate that and how, does, how do boards monitor it? And typically in the past, you see organisations similar to Ahari getting involved with regulatory bodies and advising them on how, as an industry, we should regulate or actually assess these things. Is Ahari getting involved in things like that already or do they plan on it or do you see that role evolving for this as an, as an industry body? So the final phase of our communications is talking with employers, but equally stakeholders to whom HR, good HR, culture, people, harnessing the talent of people is, is highly relevant. I'll step back just slightly. There's a, there's a number of people who have said, well, why didn't you just go down the strategy, let's say, of the financial advisors, whereby there's now a regulation and uh, in order to accelerate your agenda? And I guess from our perspective, the dynamics of work and, and workplaces, but equally the unique aspects of individuals and 
business drivers and, and yeah. the context of organisations is such that if if you put regulation ahead of your strategy, then you would lose that opportunity to be agile, to be adaptive. And I look at what the learning has been and the layering up of, of what we've been able to build over time. It's because we've had that agility to be responsive. So to take it away with a regulation or a regulatory body would be most unfortunate. So we've absolutely gone about driving our own strategy and evidence based in that way. I think in terms of our ability to influence, you could say that a strategy like we've got, uh, we shouldn't be going to market without a a quorum, a a massive number of our members who are certified. And yes, that probably is a safe bet. And while we have a a good number that are are certified and a good number on the pathway, we have a wonderful window that's opened as it relates to commissions, royal commissions and the findings that we need to step into and we need to step into very boldly. Um, and for that reason, we are now turning our voice that way. We regularly, through our research, we've just done a, another culture research, which again is the baseline for us, but it, it is stepping into these issues that are initially first and foremost on the, the minds of directors, on the minds of leaders and regulators are massively interested now. And I think more so than ever, as consumers and customers, we're very interested as well. And these are difficult and complex things. Um, they, they are multi-dimensional and, and they're not constant. I was thinking um, through your presentation, uh, comparing sort of my two careers and when we look at accounting concepts, we always associate with timeframes, either for the period of or as at. So we yeah. produce these reports. Culture is a continuous evolving piece because the individuals are always different, the environment's different, the, the drivers, economic drivers, social drivers are always different. So culture is a continuous work in progress and it will form even if we don't seek to form it. So the task associated that with that is huge. And out of the commission you made reference to, I think Ken Hayne said at one point, organisations and individuals did what they did because they could. Yeah. And when we think about how we construct our workplaces, it's not about policing, but it's creating an environment that is emphasising and focused on the right values and the right leadership frameworks and the confidence to call it out when it's wrong. Oh, definitely, yeah. That's from a business as usual. Well, business as usual could either be good or bad. That's and right. It is what it is. So. And, I, and we've got a lot of, through our 20,000 members, we've got members who've worked in the financial sector and, and are outstanding practitioners. Mm-hmm. Some have had the courage to leave. Um, others are courageously staying in there and I guess what we hope in this, this period now is that that embracing of the long process that is culture development and culture sustaining will, the business leaders will see, well, right, this isn't just about a pop-up one-day workshop over here. This is actually a long-term investment and uh, it's where we need to be focused and we need partners in this. It's the financial metrics you know, comparatively are pretty easy. The non-financial yeah. metrics are a bigger challenge. I can imagine. Thank you very much for coming to Darwin and definitely having a great time at the conference. And I believe that everybody who's attending is having a a wonderful time. And I hope you enjoy the rest of your time here and enjoy our sunny weather and have a safe trip back to Melbourne. Thank you very much. Thanks so much.